This episode sponsored by Vistage. With more than 20,000 members, it's where CEOs go to grow their companies and themselves. Learn more at Vistage.com. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode of the Grow My Revenue Business Cast, I'm joined by John Jance. Now, John is a guy who's a marketing consultant, he's a speaker, but he's also the author of Duct Tape Marketing, Duct Tape Selling, The Commitment Engine, The Referral Engine. He's also the founder of the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. I wanna talk about the notion of case studies and what people do right and what they do wrong when it comes to that, how to get the right kind of referrals for your business, the idea of cross-selling both within your organization and outside of the organization, and then also kind of the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to those case studies, when it comes to referrals, and how to overcome those. So sit back, relax, you're going to get great value, and here's John Jantz. So John, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Ian. We've known each other on and off for, for a while now, and so I'm thrilled to have you on here talk about a number of different things, but I want to start with the notion of referrals because I know that for a lot of businesses, they place a lot of emphasis on getting more referrals and better referrals, but we often see people do it in a very much backwards way. What are the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to referrals? Well, I'm, I'm going to back up on your question a little bit. I, I actually... I, I think people realize the value of referrals and they, in many cases, will will claim that that's where, especially early on, the bulk of their business comes. I would say people don't focus on it enough, <laughs> that, that it happens kind of accidentally because they're doing decent work. And, and I think probably the biggest mistake is to not you know, systematically build that in as an expectation, as an intention, as part of the customer journey, that that, that you're, fo- you're so focused on getting referrals that you focus first on creating, you know, an over-the-top uh, customer experience and, and then making it easy for people uh, to refer you. So what do you mean when you say making it easy for people to refer you? Well, I, I think what happens with a lot of people is that um, – I'll give you a really concrete example. A lot of times people will, will know that they need to get referrals. I love the, like the financial planner. That's always a great example um, because they, you know it's hard for them to knock down doors. And so they, sure. they really count on somebody introducing them. And a lot of times they'll, they'll end a session, a planning session with, do you know anybody else who needs what I do? Well – I can't think of that. That's too big for me. Yep. But uh, but uh, I so I had a financial planner one time that that we taught him to. So he'd be targeting somebody. Say, oh, I, this person lives here, or he belongs to this club, or something. So instead of saying, "Do you know anyone?" I'm going to come up with five or six people that I would love to meet, and say, "Do you know these five or six people?" Um, and could you introduce me? And all of a sudden, he found that that instantly they were able to make a connection with you know one, two, three people that they just they couldn't think of until you made it easy for them to do that. I'm curious if you find this because one of the things that that I tell people when it comes to referrals is, look, you need to be specific because the human brain, if we say, do you know anybody, your brain kind of creates a bucket and says, yeah, there's people in there. If I ask somebody on the other hand, can you think of one or two people who might be in a similar situation as you? 
then your brain creates a list logically and fills in those blanks. Yeah, absolutely. I've had clients over the years where we've also done something that I call trigger phrases. So they will come up with something that says, if you hear anyone say X, <laughs> uh, then tell them uh, I'm, you know, I'm the person for them. So instead of, uh, for example, this uh, it was a company we worked with that, that sold accounting software. Yep. And nobody ever, ever, ever sat around with their golf buddy and said, I sure wish I had some new accounting software. <laughs> but you mean that they, doesn't happen? <laughs> not, never, never. There's, uh, and, let me tell you, there's <laughs> accounting software manufacturers who were like just shocked at at this point. <laughs> but uh, but they do say, you know, my accountant's on me because we can't get reports to them on time. You know, I have absolutely no idea what our cash flow looks like. I mean, they say things like that that I would call trigger phrases, which means they uh, they do need what we sell. Um, and so, you know, we again, this uh, the software client that we had, we, we actually created a page. And, and as he went out and educated these people that said, oh, we love you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to refer you. He went out and taught them how to do it. And one of the pieces of how to do it was to, to you know, if you hear somebody say this, uh, give them my, you know, my information. Well, so I'm going to take the bait and go down this path because this is something that I think a lot of businesses overlook. And so when you're thinking about referrals, it's very easy to think, well, how do I get referrals from my existing customers? On the other hand, you have a lot of businesses that have multiple divisions or departments or business units, call it what you like, and their biggest complaint is, well, the people in Division A never bring the other people from Division B and C into opportunities that are good for them. And so there's that cross-selling idea. So talk about the notion of these trigger phrases. I often refer to it as problems we solve, but talk about the notion of trigger phrases and how that can help in that cross-selling environment. Well, I think what goes on in a lot of organizations is you have you know people on the second floor never talk to the people on the third floor, and I, I to me, you know, it's networking. Uh, so that starts with actually going down to the second floor and meeting with the sales folks, the service folks, the engineers, whoever they are. And talking about you know ways that you could do this, ways that you could actually uh, provide insight um, in other areas uh, for their for their existing clients. So there there has to be kind of this courting of, of folks. I, I you know I talk about all the time. Um, you know you know it's obvious people go after their existing customers because you know who who better to know how brilliant you are than than somebody that uh, has experienced it. But the the, the really golden opportunity is in these strategic relationships. So somebody else who already has 500 clients, not five friends, but 500 clients that could refer you or could introduce you, you know, that's where the gold is. And so whether that's interdepartmental, uh, it's still the same, or, or it's it's somebody out, you know, a non-competing, you know, other business out there in the world. Um, it still takes work developing that relationship and helping them understand kind of what's in it for them. I mean, I think a lot of organizations, you have people that, that organizations that know they should be working together or uh, external organizations that know they should be working together, uh, but, but they can't figure out how. Um, and, and I think that that, that person uh, that's really on the ball and goes out and says, hey, here's a, an ebook you could send. Here's a workshop we could do for your clients. Uh, that, that that's you know, how you get that moving. Yep. Mostly it comes back to this idea of the symptoms, as I like to call it, the symptoms that you treat, meaning that strategic partner, if you use your accounting software example, the accounting software company says, oh, yeah, so if you know anybody who needs accounting software, let us know. And they could be like an outsourced CIO. Yeah. And they say, yeah, great. If anyone asks me explicitly, do you have accounting mm -hmm. software, I'll let you know. And 
as a CIO, they might actually get that request at the very end of the process. Or you could say, listen, if they seem to be frustrated with not getting accurate reporting, if they seem to be wasting a lot of time reconciling, if they're asking you all sorts of questions about how to get their financial stuff into Excel, then maybe we can help them. That's right. And then now you've given those people symptoms that they can look for. And to your point, it doesn't matter if they're if it's interdepartmental, if it's intercompany. It's just about putting things in a language the other people can understand. That's absolutely right. And I, and I think that, again, also you being the resource then that, you know, that's why I keep talking about these strategic partners, going to them with something that, that's going to be valuable to them or is going to allow them, to, you know, they, everybody knows they should be producing more content. Everybody knows they should be doing more education. And so if you show up and you're the one that, that's offering to do it for them, I, I think you're going to be the one that gets invited uh, and, and referred. And, and, it, and it may not be a direct, hey, you should hire Ian or, or you should look at what Ian's company is doing. But the fact that, that Ian's brought in to talk about XYZ things that, that we think you'll find valuable is certainly an implied referral. Yeah, and I I think that's the that's the element of it is having a resource that other people can trust that look this is someone who's good at solving these sorts of issues that you're facing, and we don't yet know if they can solve your specific issues, but they've solved similar issues for other people. Pique somebody's interest, right? And that's clearly one area of of key focus. Now, you and I both talk a lot about this idea of results and this notion of. You know what's what's the finish line? What are you really looking for at the at the end of a project or the end of a sales opportunity? So talk a little bit about the ideas that you share about results because I think it's I think it's really valuable for people to hear it. Well, in uh, my last book, Duct Tape Selling, I mean, I kind of stuck the flag in the sand on this idea, saying that you know a sale's not a sale until the customer gets a result. Um, you know, as opposed to until the customer signs a contract, which is where I think a lot of people uh, end that. And I know I, I recently heard you talk at uh, Content Marketing World, and I think you said something very similar to that. Um, and I think that that the idea is that that's a mindset that says, you know, I'm not just trying to get the sale. I'm trying I'm trying to make sure that this customer gets an incredible result. And and even if that customer you know never ever is going to buy what I sell again because I solve their problem or or they just that's the nature of what I sell, yep. um, I think that it does a lot of incredible things. Certainly, that person's going to go out there and sing your praises, probably. Uh, but I also think that by by not just having that mindset, but going back and measuring and quantifying, you know, did we get the result? Um, a lot of salespeople struggle over, uh, you know, money and price and, you know, that discussion. And I think the salespeople that don't struggle over it at all um, are the ones who do take the time to quantify the results they're, they're getting uh, because they understand uh, now that, hey, if, if I'm asking you to, to, uh, to spend or in this case invest – $50,000, but I know time and time again that this returns $500,000. You know, I'm not going to sit here and squabble over, can I lower the price 10%? Because I'm going to have the posture to know, to, to be able to demonstrate this is uh, this is an investment you should make. Absolutely. I often say that no one can ever sell something for a dollar more than they think it's worth, right, than they in, right, their, right. in their heart and minds believe it's worth. That's right. But once you believe something is worth a lot more, then you're almost insulted when someone wants to pay less. Yeah, and, and it's not, you know, it's funny uh, because uh, 
because, you know, not even talking about salespeople, but I mean, business owners, entrepreneurs go out there and gosh, you know, could you pay me $5,000, you know, as, as opposed to the attitude of, hey, this is, uh, I'm not being cocky. I'm not being anything. This is worth, you know, $5,000 because it will return. This is not a cost. This is an investment that I've seen return X result. And so consequently, I'm going to have that confidence. And so consequently, a couple of things happen. Fewer people are going to ask you to lower the price because because they see and feel that confidence, but also you're going to walk away from deals occasionally that uh, that were going to be you know a pain in the butt anyway. Yeah, they were going to be a train wreck. It was going to be the toxic client who you know felt they were going to manipulate you to death. And yes, that's uh, and, and, uh, what, what's how's that statement go? Those who pay the least are entitled the most. Exactly. Something, something I, think like that. I think. Oh, by the way, I don't know if that was written anywhere, but I know that there's like a client manifesto that says that. <laughs> <laughs> you run your business, I've run other businesses, I, I've run businesses um, and, and run mine now. And so I always say that you know, we have an appreciation for the fact that there's somebody running a business who says, so John and Ian say, if this client doesn't appreciate our value, I should walk away. But I got payroll to make next month. So it's not that it's easy. It's just once right, right, you right. start to believe in what you have – then you attract better clients and the right clients. And that short-term struggle, if you will, that short-term consternation of, well, should I really walk away from this deal, always pays off in the end. You just have to believe that you'll get there. Well, and I think another thing that comes about uh, that I've seen once I you know, got to that point and I got yeah. to that posture is not that many people make you walk away. I mean, there's just a lot of people that they're wired to say, I have to get a deal. And you say, no, you're not going to get a deal. Uh, it's amazing how you know, 80, 90 percent of the time they're OK. Well, it's 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 funny because for a lot of my clients, I'll go and help them and then I go away. And so I had someone who called me recently and said, so, yeah, I mean, we, we've been growing like at 40 percent annually and this is great. And it's been a couple of years since we had you. And so we want you back in to work with our team by the way, how much has the fee gone up, <laughs> right? And it's just, once you deliver the results, it's not a whole discussion. It's like, yeah, we get that it's probably more now. It's not, well, can I get the old rate after I've just told Absolutely. you how many extra millions of dollars we made? I mean, it's just, you um, you get through that. Now, coupled with this idea of, of delivering results is the idea of the case study. And I know that, you know, when I spoke about a content marketing world, it piqued your interest. And I know that you feel similarly about this. So, Let's talk about kind of traditionally how people approach case studies that may or may not be so effective and then some alternative ways to approach it. First off, you know, case studies are, are an important form of content. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we don't think of them that way, but because we all talk about content, we immediately think about blog posts and whatnot. But, you know, we have to have forms of content for different stages in the customer journey. And uh, quite often when a customer is decided – what you're talking about actually might be the solution to their problems. And and by the way, you actually might be the person uh, that they might want to work with. They're probably really ready now to start seeing some proof that you have actually delivered this result for someone else. And to me, that's where case studies really fit in. They're not they're not when somebody's just doing their initial research. Uh, I mean, they have a very specific point, I think, in the journey typically. Um, and what most people do, um, and, and I heard you uh, talk uh, – eloquently about this idea is that, you know, most people, rightly so, will say, well, here's what, you know, what kind of client it is, you know, here's what the problem was, here's how we solved it, here are the results. And, and it makes logical sense. Uh, but I think one of the challenges with that approach is a lot of times um, we chase 
business away by assuming what they want, assuming that they know what their problem is, assuming that they haven't tried our solution five different ways, you know, with five different people. So so what happens is a case study is the way most people do it. It's almost like asking someone a yes or no question. And if they can look at your case study and say, no, that's not me, or no, that's not my problem, or no, I've tried that solution, uh, then uh, that typical format actually may do more damage, in my opinion, than good. Let's go back to your accounting software. So they say, you know, the accounting software company says, oh, yeah, and we run this thing on this type of Windows server. And as soon as you say that, the client says, oh, the last software we had was on a Windows server. And so and that failed. So this wouldn't work either. And shut down immediately. Yeah. And and you got shut down because you gave details that candidly they don't care about. Right. Anyhow, and which is which is kind of ironic. I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time on the buyer's mind in terms of how people make decisions. And, and I always say, look, in my research, what, what we see is that people first want to know what problems to solve and why do I need it? And the second thing they want to know is what's the likely outcome or results? And so what we talked about in that session, I'm interested to get your thoughts on it, is this notion of a case study that says, here's the issue that this client was facing. And by the way, here's the consequence to that organization of not solving this issue. And you can give every bit of detail that that the person reading the case study says, hey, we hadn't even thought about it. Those other areas of impact might actually be things that we would be experiencing too. So it kind of helps them believe that, yeah, there's this is a real issue out there that it's important enough to solve. And then if we just talk about the results and we don't necessarily say what we did, then it makes it easier for the for the potential buyer to say, well, so someone else had a problem similar to us and was having all these other complications that we didn't even thought about, and now their life is better. But they didn't say how they got there, so I better call these people and find out how they did it. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that it does, and it's, and it's classic, classic selling, is that it gets them invested in the total value or, you know, I hate to put it as a negative, but many people respond better to that, the, the total loss if they yeah. don't solve this. And so all of a sudden, now $10,000 may not sound like much because if we don't solve this, you know, my life is over <laughs> or something. I mean, so I, I think that's a really, really key um, in- ingredient in in this type of structure. And, and I've used it every time I sell to somebody, I, you know, I have to get them, I have to get, I have to understand what they're trying to do, what their objective is, how we're going to measure it. And then lastly, I have to understand what's the value if we actually succeed to them. Because a lot of times it's for, for most of what we're selling, but particularly when we're selling services, you know, the value uh, can far, far exceed, you know, anything we're asking uh, to, you know, somebody to spend. And, and, you know, I sell marketing services. And, you know, quite frankly, many people approach marketing services uh, strictly as a cost. Uh, but if I can get them to see it as an investment in getting control over their business, an investment in getting home earlier at night, an investment certainly in having the lifestyle that they want because they've grown their business to a certain uh, um, level, uh, then all of a sudden we've changed the game completely. You know, you've got enough of a track record that you might just say, oh, I don't need to cover that stuff. But I guarantee there are times where you forget to cover it. And the person's looking at you like, I don't know, it's a lot of money. And you feel like you have to backpedal and say, whoa, whoa, let me explain you some case study examples of what other people have seen. Well, and I I think the other thing that's that's really crucial here, too, is by by leaving this, you know, here are all the challenges rather than here's how we solve this. You know, you really, um, I, I think that you all of a sudden 
can get away from talking about money or maybe even justifying um, something that costs far more than anybody else is willing to charge uh, because you've gone that extra mile. I, I was talking with um, Matt Dixon, who is the author of The Challenger Sale, um, and, and, and great, great um, – Great example. Um, I can't remember the brand name now, but uh, he gave me this the other the other day when we were talking. But somebody makes a tool for dentists to do all the you know that wand that goes in your mouth with all the various attachments. Well, for eons and eons, they've always been attached to this heavy cord, power cord, um, and so co- some company came up with a way to make that thing uh, um, wireless or you know cordless, not, not yeah. cordless. There we go. Um, and so uh, they it's went got a in. Wi-Fi yeah, interface that's right. now. <laughs> so they went to the dentist and they said they brought it out in this beautiful case and everybody. They said, oh, man, that's gorgeous. That's incredible. And they said, oh, by the way, it costs twice as much. And it was like, next, you know, I can, I can get by without that. Um, and so they went back to the drawing board and they were able to start finding, I guess, you know, one of the biggest challenges for dentists, dental hygienists, is uh, injury, absentee, you know, burnout. It's a hard, stressful job. And one of the things that makes it hard and stressful is toting around that that wand and having to, you know, do certain things with it that cause uh, injuries. And so they went back and completely reframed the value of it being about being able to retain your staff, having happier staff, having less injuries, having less less absenteeism, and all of a sudden the value of that device skyrocketed and the rest is history. Yeah, exactly. Because now the customer understood why they should care about that thing, why it might matter. You know, it, it, especially for, for companies, medical devices, engineering companies, technology companies, it's very easy to focus on the end result and say, look at this cool thing we built. And forget that the customer has to understand why they should care first. That's right. It's pretty, but you know. But now all of a sudden, if this is going to solve actually a much greater problem, <laughs> then yeah. all of a sudden it's like bring it on because now it's an investment in absenteeism and and productivity and profit, not yeah. not a, a nice luxury item to have so that we can be cool. Yeah, exactly. In other words, if they can if they can come up with research that shows, look, the the dentists who are using this have. 50 fewer canceled appointments each exactly. year. Exactly. And the average appointment generates $200 or even $100. All of a sudden they say, oh, and this is an extra $1,000? Yeah, it's a no-brainer because exactly. I'm getting all this extra money. I'm getting $5,000 extra dollars on the other side of it. That's right. That's, that's our job is to, is to attach value to what we sell. And, and then all of a sudden what we sell is an investment. Yep. Now, now you, you mentioned there's, there's a lot of work you do with clients on a, on a consulting and strategy side, on their on their marketing, how they communicate digitally in person, but obviously you can't be everywhere. So how do you support this? You know the breadth of the world with what you do when you can't be everywhere at once, unless you've cloned yourself. <laughs> well, I I chose intentionally because I love working with small mid sized businesses. I chose to really focus on those business owners, um, and and to create maybe a very systematic and unique approach to working with them. But uh, but obviously, as you noted, um, that that actually was something people wanted, and so my uh, my practice filled up uh, very very quickly. This is going back a decade or so ago, um, and so you know it, it occurred to me that uh, the way to kind of solve the world's problems, you know, one small business at a time was that I did have to find a way to clone myself, so to speak. And so I took my uh, system and my methodology and uh, created it in such a fashion that I could actually license it and train um, other independent marketing consultants, coaches, uh, digital agencies around the world. And so uh, today we have um, about 110 of these folks in 14 different countries uh, that uh, some some component of their practice is installing the duct tape marketing system. In fact, we're 
uh, day after tomorrow. Um, this is uh, the end of September. I'm uh, actually headed to Colorado and during during our annual uh, summit, we've rented a ranch. Um, Going to have about half of the network there and spend three days to three days together, working on uh, what's what's new and next. And uh, um, and so that that's been my answer to that. Now that group, uh, you know, today works uh, collectively with thousands of small and mid-sized businesses around the world. Um, and I and I think you know, in in a way, this is. You know, I hate to sound too goofy about it, but I, I really feel like this is a, a bit of a mission-driven business too, because I see a lot of business owners that because they can't figure this marketing part out, that it's it's sucking the life out of them. Their businesses are, and and uh, so it's it's really gratifying when you find a way to you know help a business owner feel like they've gained or regained control of their business. Sure, and and I love the way that you approach this because it's not a matter of. Yeah, send us a check, and now you're a you're certified in our program. I mean, they've got to do some real work to make sure that they're delivering the quality that they would get if you were there. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, we do that the best we can. We don't get too involved in their business, but we we try to stay close enough and do enough and and train enough and and you know really make the network a valuable thing to both give. Uh, or take from and contribute to, and and I think that has uh, the element of of you know really some quality control just in and of itself. It's the biggest fear I have every time someone says, "Well, you're a capacity. Why don't you just why don't you just license this out to someone else?" And it just scares the heck out of me because how do I maintain that that quality level? And I know it's something that you've done incredibly well because I think it's something that if people are either consultant having your system in their bag of tricks can be valuable. And also for a lot of businesses, to be able to find resources for that is incredibly valuable. Most of the consultants come for the, the resources, the system, the tools, but they stay for the network. I mean, that's sure. another thing that, you know, if you're a solopreneur, you know, having another hundred <clears throat> people that think like you and that are doing some of the same things you're trying to do, that can be a really valuable resource uh, all by itself. Sure. So let me wrap up with one question, which is, so thinking in this digital marketing marketing landscape, and obviously we talked about the idea of the focus on results and referrals and case studies and, and this network, but if you had one piece of advice, what would that be? Uh, probably the thing I spend the most time with, and I, and I think the pressure to do this has gotten worse. Um, you know, when I started this business, we had six or eight channels maybe where we could go out and try to find business. And today we have, I routinely cite, 16. Um, and I think that uh, one of the biggest uh, stresses uh, is that people are like, oh, I have to be on social media and I have to do content and I have to be doing referrals and I have to be speaking and I have to be doing all these things uh, because they see other people doing it, maybe other people in their business doing it. It or their industry doing it. And what I like to try to get people to do is, you know, let's find that one or two or three channels at the most where you could get the most bang for your buck. And let's go all in there. And then if we're going to expand and say, okay, now it's time for social media or now it's time to uh, start doing uh, strategic, you know, partnering, use those channels to leverage where you're already strong. So in other words, if, if most, of your most of your business is coming through your sales channel, then it, approach content marketing as a way to make your salespeople better and smarter and, and more nimble. Or approach social media as a way to make your sales channel uh, more engaging. Um, approach public speaking as a way to build authority in your, your sales team. And, and I think that um, if people look at that approach, uh, they, they won't feel like they're just chasing all of these kind of disconnected things. Yeah, that whole idea of focus, focus, focus. You know, the old, the old real estate location, location, location. Yep. It's focus, 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 and 
I mean, I get that all the time. People say, oh, you're, you're not active on Instagram. I said, well, we can't do Instagram well and do the other things. So we just focus on these two or three channels. I, I, I can't do more than that well. Well, and, and, and I'll tell you, too, I mean, there's a lot of pressure because people see other people doing them. You, you may be actually able to do Instagram well, but is that a good, profitable use of your resources? Maybe not. Maybe never. Yeah. Uh, just because other people are doing it, you may never, ever be able to find that as a way for you to profitably grow your business. So, so you know, you got to kind of let go of some of that. Yep. Excellent. Well, John, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today and for sharing your wisdom, which um, you covered a lot of stuff. So I'm sure people have a ton of notes. And of course, we'll recap as much as we can here in the show notes. We'll make sure that people know um, how to reach you. But for those people who are driving can remember it, what's the best way for them to reach you online? Well, the easiest is just duct tape marketing. Everything's there. So it's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. That's right. If they can't spell marketing, then they shouldn't even be showing up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, John. Thanks again. John is always such a wealth of knowledge. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the things that I think you can take away and apply to your business right away. First, if you're looking for more referrals, that means that you have to be referable. And what that comes down to is delivering results and customer experience worthy of people sharing with somebody else. The second thing I want you to think about is trigger phrases. Often I refer to it as problems you solve, but basically teaching your customers or colleagues, listen, if you hear anyone say blah, 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 that's a good person to refer us into. And finally, when you deliver results and then measure them, that gives you pricing confidence so that when you go and talk to your customer, you know what your solution is really worth. This show gets its direction from you, the listener. And I want to thank you for getting us so high in ratings on iTunes. If you know someone I should have as a guest on the show or have a topic you'd love for me to cover, please let me know. Just drop me an email at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue.